Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. All right, I did it. I started. It's like, oh no, I, I've let go of the dock and here we go off into the, the wild raging river. This thing is started. I'm really excited. I can't wait to get started and introduce everyone to this guest. He is back for the second time and we know only the, the smartest folks and the most amazing folks and friendly and just brilliant people uh, come back. And I am so honored that he is doing this. Who is he? Who is this guy, Casey, you keep talking about? I would consider him the godfather of marketing technology. I would say a top 10 marketing thought leader, at least for me personally. And I'm sure many, many, many millions of other marketers would say the same. Entrepreneur, editor, creator of what was used to be known as the MarTech 5000, which has now grown and grown and grown beyond 10,000 now to be the MarTech map, author of Hacking Marketing, editor of ChiefMarTech.com, VP of Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot, Scott Brinker, welcome back, sir. Wow, thank you for that incredible intro, Casey. <laughs> Great to be here with you. Well, I just I'm just trying to keep up with you since we last talked. There's just so many things in this intro. If we talk again in a year or two years time, I'm going to have to just reserve, you know, 15 minutes to just put it all down, right? <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> Let's hope not, right? <laughs> so, hey, I want to dive into this marketing technology, Martech. Things are changing. Things are moving. We're getting out of COVID. We're starting to see tech. You see here in the news and everything. So I'm going to stop talking. and I'm going to hand you your old friend. It's heavy, but you wielded this thing perfectly last time. Ugh, okay, here we go. <laughs> Thor's hammer. Go ahead. Grab that. You got All it? All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. Oh, wow. Well, we've certainly got the topic MarTech. Like, there is no lack of myths to be smashed. Let's start with the big one. Uh, is MarTech consolidating? Is it expanding? What the heck is happening here? Because every single week, people read in the news about these stories of, oh, this MarTech company got acquired by this other company. So clearly, MarTech is consolidating. Then I come around, you know, once a year and I'm like, hey, well, here's the landscape of all the MarTech companies out there. And oh, my God, it's like grown, you know, like 20 percent again. Jeez. What is happening here? And so the truth is it's doing both. It is both getting consolidated and expanding. And if you're scratching your head and saying, wait, what? <laughs> it's just like some sort of quantum physics uh, riddle. <laughs> How does this happen? Yeah, the water uh, is both liquid and gas at the same exactly. time. Exactly. You know, what's happening here is it's consolidated. You can think of the MarTech industry as this huge long tail. Uh, you know, at the head of the tail, you've got very large companies, public companies, you know, as you start to go down the, you know, um, tail a bit more, I mean, companies that have like 100 million more in ARR, uh, right? And actually, these tend to be the companies that are doing the acquiring. Mm. And there's a lot, a lot of consolidation that happens there. I mean, we did the, when we just released the 2022 landscape uh, last month, um, you know, we skipped a year in 2021, but from like 2020 to 2022, there's something like 12% churn 
from 2020. 12% of the companies that were on the MarTech uh, landscape in 2020 had gone away by 2022. Mm -hmm. Either they'd been acquired or they went out of business or they pivoted into something else. So yes, that is the sort of consolidation for us that you're like, yes, yes, I'm, it should consolidate, right? Yeah, I felt but, it, right. But at the same time, like we had this over 20% total net growth because like 2,900 new companies had either entered the space or we discovered them in our research, you know? And so this is what makes MarTech such a wild and crazy thing is yes, there's these consolidation forces, but for a whole bunch of reasons, you know, the number of new startups and the number of even existing companies who decide to enter the MarTech space with, you know, a new product continues to grow. Now, you might be like, okay, well, wait a second, hang on here. Let's step back and try and smash another myth that is really closely related to what's happening with that. You know, for the longest time, people used to frame the MarTech landscape as a, as a binary choice. You could either go sweet, which means, you know, you just go to one vendor and they give you everything you need magically in one box, right. one throat to choke. It just everything you ever need. Um, one sales rep to annoy you each year. <laughs> yes, exactly. To keep raising your prices. Right. No. Or on the other side, oh, well, you're going to go best of breed, which means good luck. You're entirely on your own. Sure, you can like take all the best of all these different categories, but ooh, yeah, if you ever get to integrate them, uh, boy, that will be a miracle. And the truth is, like you know, eight years ago, ten years ago, that that actually was the dilemma that was being faced. But what's happened over the past decade is most of the major MarTech companies have opened up their APIs. They've created ecosystem programs uh, to really help all these other companies that are further down the long tail be able to integrate into these core platforms. Uh, and at the same time, all these new companies that are launching into MarTech, you know, this continuing expanding long tail, they've now recognized that in order to sell their products, you know, their prospects, one of the first questions the prospect asks is like, yeah, that sounds like a really nice functionality. Do you integrate with my existing platform? Yeah, you my know? CRM and, for sure. You exactly. Know? You know, and so this age old myth of like, oh, well, it's either, you know, sweet or best of breed. Let's just smash that. We live in MarTech in a world of platform ecosystems. And yes, I'm biased as VP of platform ecosystem for HubSpot. HubSpot uh, but right, it isn't yeah. just HubSpot. We see this across the MarTech industry. Right. Platform ecosystems, which are to say, you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get all this functionality of these core platforms, which do tend to do a ton of things for you. But then for any sort of specialized need you have or something that's unique to your industry or your stage or your strategy or some new emerging technology, you now have the option to plug that into your platform. So you're getting all the innovation of the best of breed and you're getting all the coherence and the stability of the suite. And it is a platform ecosystem world. How, how, how am I doing on myth busting? Oh man, this is great. I mean, Thor's hammer's on fire right now. You're <laughs> totally crushing. You're just smashing, you know, Venetian glass in a, in a store, you know, it's just, just smashing everywhere. What, what changed? Did we just get better at APIs? I mean, they're, they're open and they're, it's easier to do it. Or we've got some good middleware that can just connect them all now. I mean, what has changed so that it, it's not so much like if you choose that best of breed, you're on your own. You know, APIs are not, like 
technical rocket science. You know, really <laughs> what this came down to is a question of priorities. You know, the large companies at the head of the tail that really need to be the platforms here, they had to prioritize, you know, opening up these APIs and not just having APIs, but you need the program support around that. You need these platform ecosystems, you need the marketplace, you need to be able to help people discover what works, you need to have some good governance, you know, so like the, you're, you're, you're managing the quality control of, you know, what yeah. these things are. Uh, and then at the same time for the startups, again, it's just a question of prioritization. You know, every startup that goes out to conquer the world has their long backlog of like, oh, these are all the things we wanna build that are gonna be so amazing. And back in the day, integrating with other systems just didn't tend to reach the top of their priority list. But again, as we said earlier, because now you really have a hard time selling a solution to prospects and marketing if you aren't able to integrate with their core CRM or their core marketing automation system. Yeah, essentially startups got the message and they are now prioritizing integrations as part of their core product, first class citizen of how they actually go to market. I wonder if they, they started prioritizing them higher up in the list because consumers got used to it or they, they experienced it. Almost like we've heard people talk about Netflix and Amazon have made us made it impossible for us to go to any e-commerce shop and not have like a flawless choice and system and, and experience. And if, we, and if we have anything that has friction whatsoever, we're like, we're out because we're so used to it now. I wonder if some of these larger parts of the, you know, the head of the, of the creature here have just give, given us so many good experiences being integrated that when you look at the value of the, the lone wolf, it's like, I, I would love to get you, but if you can't connect, I'm just out. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to play games with Excel and CSV files anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly that. I mean, at the end of the day, one of the, I mean, I have a lot of empathy for marketers that when they look at this crazy landscape of all these solutions, they feel like, oh man, this is such a challenge to figure out, you know, which tools I want to use and where. And I fully acknowledge that is a challenge. On the other hand, there's some real upside for marketers. And it's not just that like, oh, well, there's all this innovation, all these companies, they're trying to innovate ways to make you as the marketer more successful. Um, but the thing is, when you have this really large field, it is highly competitive among the MarTech vendors. Mm. And as a MarTech buyer, that's kind of a wonderful thing because you know that really you know starts to give you more power as the buyer to say, okay, these are the things I expect. And if you don't do this, somebody else is gonna be more than happy to do it for me. Um, and integration is exactly like in that bucket. Um, and so, you know, it's taken a few years for the uh, feedback loop, uh, you know, to sort of embed itself uh, into product uh, roadmaps. But I think today, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm biased. I tend to see this because I'm always looking for it, but I can't think of a single MarTech startup I've come across in the past year that part of their initial go-to-market didn't include, oh yeah, and here's how we integrate with at least one or two of the three core systems uh, in the market yeah. stack. Yeah, I, I guess I guess by its very nature, because it's MarTech, you have to, well, at least modern marketers know that we have to integrate with sales. We have to be connected. We don't have data in a silo. So it's almost like we've matured as well, to the point where we're not interested in just buying a, you know, a PPC app that, that can't report the data back in an effective manner. 
you know, directly. Yeah. No, I, I, exactly. You, you, in fact, actually, we really do need to, I mean, every time we talk about MarTech, I always have to acknowledge that um, marketers and all the change that they have navigated here over the past 10 years, uh, man, do they have my respect. It is, uh, marketing is an Olympic sport uh, at this point. Um, and so, yeah, the people who have all matured in this industry doing this, yeah, hats off to them. But you're exactly right. I mean, the MarTech buyer of today, the marketing buyer of today, even the CMO, who might not have a technical background, might not even get into the weeds of marketing operations, they've been around in this industry here now for 10 years or so. A, they've probably gone burned a couple of times by like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, now that jaded, promise right? didn't actually pan <laughs> out. You know, and they're just wiser, they're savvier, they've seen more of this, they understand the priorities, hopefully within their own org, they have a good marketing ops, marketing tech team, hopefully they're like talking with the, you know, the yeah. CIO has become a true counterpart uh, to them and not some sort of adversary as it was like a decade or more ago, you know, and so I think you've just got a much savvier, uh, you know, marketing team and marketing leadership, uh, not to say we still don't have plenty to learn and, you know, uh, grow, but yeah, it is a much, <laughs> much different MarTech buyer today than it was even five years ago. You know, and I, I think you're in a, this unique place to, I don't even want to say it's like tea leaves, but you having the data around you, it's almost like evolutionary science you see around you um, popping up, you know, all sorts of different things popping up randomly to see if maybe it can, you know, take off. But then there's some sort of clusters where, wow, there is a need that isn't being met here and, and it's time to fulfill it. So I imagine that as marketers have matured, you've, you've sort of seen the evolution of these clusters. I know you have, the, I've seen like grouped into like loose bubble categories. Mm -hmm. Have you seen, just like you've seen some apps come and go, have you seen categories come and go? Or once a category is in, is it kind of like we're, it stays here to stay and then we add more categories after that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. It's not that I can think of a whole category that's gone away, but you do see the categories evolve and they evolve in a very rapid way. So let me give you a couple examples. Like, so two of the oldest categories in market MarTech were content management systems, web experience platforms, and uh, ad tech, you know? And so each of those, right? I mean, they're now like, what, each 25 years old or something like this. So if there were any categories that you would expect, okay, it should just be completely consolidated. Nothing new to see here. Mm -hmm. Should be down to two or three winners. You know, like with the CMS uh, side, right? I mean, like the past few years have been this explosion of innovation around things like headless CMS. You know, whole new ways of thinking about the web development stack and how that gets. Well, tell me more about this because in my mind, maybe it's because I've been isolated in an ecosystem, <laughs> but. Uh, I haven't heard. I, I just assumed it was, you know, you know, HubSpot has a CMS. I know about WordPress and. I know there's a couple other ones that maybe enterprises might pick because they want some security, but are you, you seeing even in those like old decades, old categories, there, there are things afoot? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, like take the headless CMS, uh, you know, movement over the past five years, like, uh, you know, um, products like Contentful, you know, did not exist, uh, you know, years and years ago, you know, um, because the nature of what we want to do with content management has changed a lot, right? It's now not just about like, oh, well, how do we feed stuff up to these, you know, web pages? But it's like, 
you know, the web pages themselves very often will run to mirror capabilities, perhaps in a mobile app. We might also be having, you know, these like interactive chat experiences that we want to be able to access the same content on demand. You know, it, it just, it, it, it definitely changes the nature. I mean, if you're, depending on the nature of your business, you might have, you know, kiosks and like retail outlets. You know, we've just realized that there's this, this proliferation of digital touch points and digital channels, you know, and ultimately what we used to think of as a web experience, you know, mission, we realize is actually this broader digital experience. Uh, in fact, actually, that's now the name a lot of people use for this category, DXP, digital experience platform. Um, anyway, so like that's one example. Uh, ad tech is another example where, you know, I mean, for years there were, you know, all these different, you know, companies competing and innovating in the space, and it did start to consolidate really down to essentially, okay, well, there's Google and Facebook and each of them had their own ad plat management platforms, you know? And so you almost thought like, oh, I guess this, this space is pretty much all wrapped up, last person in, turn off the lights. Um, but now you look at today and oh my God, like this, partly because of the, you know, death of third party cookies, you know, all of a sudden like, oh, well actually individual sites and publishers now are starting to get a lot more agency, you know, over what they're in a position to offer. But now we also think of, um, uh, right, uh, like these uh, retail media networks, which is kind of a new thing. So like, oh, well, now it's not just, uh, you know, advertising through like Google and Facebook. There's all this stuff on Amazon and now, oh, Walmart. And now all of a sudden all these other retail groups are offering it. Right. And so now you have this diversification of all these ad related channels. Once again, okay, now there's an opportunity for software that can help you manage this like much more complicated ecosystem of all these different ad channels. And so, yeah, ad tech used to be like, we thought that was all wrapped up and consolidated. Welcome to 2022. Uh, it is all new again. Yeah, I wonder if that's just the, the expanding world of, you know, better tech, but then more competition and, you know, regulations changing. So it's just ebbing and flowing and then you're seeing it adapt. Um, I wanted to ask you a really cool experiment. I think what we'll try to do is we'll link to it. Um, I have 2020 and I have 2022 up in front of me and it almost feels like just even cleaner, more organized. <laughs> Maybe that's just because they're just little tiny circles instead of um, islands with full logos. Um, was there some thought around that? I love to hear just sort of the, the behind the scenes of, you know, what what at first made you create almost like these little continents that with a little ar archipelagos versus <laughs> okay, let's let's try to make you know columns with subcategories and just kind of take me behind the scenes. Yeah, so there were basically three stages of this. Uh, you know, in the first stage uh, when I was doing all of this by myself by hand, it was, okay, these like very nice column, neat, nice, neat columns, square boxes. And I was trying to pack the full logo of each company in. Yeah, and you know oh, marketers, right? With their wacky logos that oh, never fit that look. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, that was one thing when we were talking a hundred or 300, it started to be a thousand. Yeah, all right, this was already getting painful, but you took it to 5,000, 6,000, 7,000. Yeah, it, it just was untenable. And so actually the 2021, the one that looks like all these continents, um, by that point in time, I had a team of like nine people who were helping with this project and the designer basically rebelled and said, all right, I'm just not going to like pack these things into these boxes because the moment you have like one new one that comes in, 
oh my god all of a sudden i have to like rearrange the whole box. You redo everything like yeah it's terrible ripple effect so what he came up with i thought was kind of brilliant was let's do this the other way let's cluster all the logos together in just whatever way is easiest and then we'll just draw a line around that category you know and let's just see organically what it looks like which is what 2020 did interesting i will admit harder to actually read um and entertaining so, as hell right it's almost like a where's waldo book where yeah well i mean almost any way you're going to organize this yeah the scale <laughs> that was going to be the case in 2022 i teamed up with franz ramirez who uh, uh does martech tribe in uh, the netherlands um and there were kind of a couple of really big innovations that uh, he came up with here one was instead of trying to just get the full logo let's just get the fave icon from these websites yeah. because that's something actually we can harvest dynamically anytime we want to update it like you know people are always if they change their logo they change their fave icon hopefully yeah. uh you know so it just became a lot easier to maintain and because all the fave icons have a certain similar dimension okay now we can actually programmatically lay them out now that had a lot of upsides one of the downsides is when you're just looking at the fave icons you're like I have no idea who any of these That's are. true. Um, so what we did was we also launched martechmap.com, you know, and you can basically go there for free. Uh, and now you can see the map, but you can like, well, if you hover over things, it'll, you know, show you who the company is, give you some stats about them, let you link off to them. But because it's all dynamic there, we also put in like a search bar so you could like filter for, you know, oh, I'm looking for, you know, companies, uh, you know, uh, based in these countries, or I can type in a keyword and it will like show me, oh, which are the subset of these companies that have that keyword in like their meta description or their homepage. Um, so anyways, uh, it, it's been a journey, but yeah, when you're up to 10,000 of these things, it's like, wow, how do you manage this on a production level, but also how do you make this even remotely useful <laughs> for someone to find something? True, true. But man, fascinating. That, that what, a, what a cool move to do that. I, I even in my little nerd brain was thinking you could even create an app that maybe would go out and just grab the latest five icon. And then the, the, the cynic in me was, you know, who forgot to update their icon and it just shows like their their default CMS fab icon. We, we definitely found a few of those. Yeah, yeah. a few of those. <laughs> Is there like, that's actually kind you know, of a Would you like too. to be included in the, in the MarTech map? If so, please design a fab icon. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> we joke, but actually in all seriousness, if you're a MarTech company trying to sell other businesses on how to do effective digital marketing, if you can't get the basics of your own website together, it's a little bit of a warning flag that, yeah, you know, maybe you shouldn't be, uh, uh, you're, you're not quite yet ready right. to teach other people how to do it. <laughs> you know, I had to just check my own website real quick to make sure I was, I'm good. I'm yeah, good. I got don't throw stones in the glass house. Exactly, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, those idiots. <laughs> um, <laughs> so good. Um, I had a question. So one of the things that I'm often telling new marketers is, is that the, the cool part about marketing and also the trouble with it is that just like, just like only the CEO is, are we able to look over the entire organization and like the big picture from acquisition to see the whole user experience, the whole buyer journey, everything, even into like retention and renewals and, and even, uh, 
having a great brand that attracts good talent, like stretching into HR, it's like we can kind of go over everyone's bucket, whereas all these other departments can be kind of siloed and focus on what they need to do. We, we could very easily lose focus. So my question to you related to that is, do you ever have to draw a line of like, is that actually marketing software? And, and, and because otherwise, couldn't everything be marketing software if we are overlooking everything? How do you, how do you define that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. In fact, actually, on the MarTech landscape, um, one of the major categories, one of the major columns, uh, we call management. Um, and if you look in there, I mean, all the subcategories are things like project management and collaboration yeah. tools. Uh, and you're absolutely right. I mean, talent management. tools. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Here's what we use. It's like the, the, the idea behind the MarTech landscape was to say, we want to surface up the technology that marketers are using in their day-to-day -day work. And that if you're a CMO or a head of marketing ops, you need to understand how these pieces of technology fit into your organization. Now, a bunch of those technologies are purpose-built for marketing. It's only going to, I mean, ad tech, it's only going to be the marketing department oh, that sure. uses it. But a bunch of these other things like, you know, budget management software, talent management software, uh, project management collaborations, those tools don't necessarily exclusively get used for marketing, but in the marketing department, you actually need to be able to use these tools. A lot oh, of them yeah. you need to be able to integrate them with your other systems. You know, it needs to be part of your operating uh, system, you know, as a marketing team. So we, we include them, but it is a totally fair criticism to say like, I'm not sure I would call those products MarTech. Um, I'd say, yeah, that's a fair, if, if you want to like write off the whole management column and say, no, that doesn't count. Um, yeah, feel free. <laughs> well, no, and not, not to criticize, just to say it, it's a challenge. And so it sounds like what I'm hearing is if a marketer is using this on a daily basis, or if it's a tool that they use in support of marketing, then it should be included. Yeah, and I think where you know we draw the line, and this is obviously where the art, uh, you know, versus the science is, is if it's a tool that marketing, it, it it's in marketing, but it's not really used by. A, a great example would be like payroll. Well, we're going to assume you're paying your marketers, uh, so you know the payroll software is you know uh, relevant in some way to the marketing department as much as everyone else. But it's not really something that marketing ops thinks about. Uh, it's not something that, yeah, the CMO is going to be involved in the decision. They don't have to worry about integrating it with other things, you know. So, um, yeah, versus like something like, you know, a project management tool, if you're going to use like Asana or ClickUp or Monday yeah. or something like that, that actually becomes a big part of your like departmental operating system. Yeah. Uh, and so I think at that Maybe point in time, it's fair part. to say like, yeah, this is this is technology for marketers. Yeah, just like the CRM and you know, Market Automation Connected is like that core hub and all the other apps are hopefully sending data in there and normalized and ready to rock and report. Yeah, the, the operational side, you know, one of these to-do lists might be the, the hub. It's either that or it's the, the billboard behind the uh, CMO. It's the dry erase board with all the stickies <laughs> on it. But either that or it's, and I've definitely encountered that, but, you know, but it's, that's like the that's the hub that's the lifeblood of of where the marketers are keeping track of all these things that they have to do yep a hundred percent so have there been any new categories it sounds like we've got the consolidation and the expansion have have any new ones 
are, are there anything coming down the future or are you eyeing future categories? Tell us, tell, predict the future for us, Scott. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things we didn't do this year was add new categories, uh, at least in the release we did last month. Uh, and to be honest, it wasn't because there aren't new categories. It's because we had our hands full, just like, yeah, bringing together this new system and, uh, you know, getting things uh, launched with the current categories. Uh, so we're actually right now in the middle of saying, okay, now on to the next iteration um, and going through the discussion of new categories. And there are new categories. I mean, you know, again, without falling prey to the hype of this, like all the stuff that's happening around like NFTs, uh, you know, I mean, that is whether, no matter what your opinion is of NFTs and crypto, you can't deny the fact that there's a whole series of marketers out there at different brands who are now engaging and using this stuff as part of, you know, you know their uh, strategy. And so, yeah, there's, there probably should be a category for that. Uh, the metaverse. Really, really? So real quick. So marketing and NFTs? Yeah, right. I mean, all these brands that are using NFTs as, you know, like they're starting to embed it into loyalty programs. I mean, some of it's just, oh. to be honest, some of it is probably, in my personal opinion, a lot of it right now is sort of like the experimental hype of like, oh, 100%. you know, buy your Burger King meal and, you know, you get this NFT that comes with it. I... I don't know. It's going to be super useful, but it's interesting because it gets Burger King in the news and I'm making this up about Burger King. I don't know if they're doing this or not, but it's like, I've, I've seen the, <laughs> if you go to ad age or, you know, some of these like very brand focused marketing publications, they've had a lot of stories of brands experimenting with NFTs. So the reality is, yeah, if you're going to look at marketing technology landscape, at this point, you probably have to acknowledge that a bunch of these technologies around like launching NFTs and managing them, becoming part of what marketers are doing yeah same thing with metaverse too i mean all of that and, and that is actually in many ways i think a lot more legit i mean you know it's more in the gaming side so it depends on your brand if you have a good fit you know but there is some seriously cool stuff happening you know for brands creating experiences inside the metaverse to have their own sort of you know simulated solutions um you know obviously advertising and sponsorship is still very open there how much of that is classic advertising, how much of it is something a little bit more bespoke experience-based. Um, yeah, and oh my God, like you could do a whole landscape just on companies that are sort of feeders into the creation of these metaverse experiences. Yeah, it seems like as things evolve, it sounds like there's this sort of frothy bubble, almost like lava, right? There's that, there's the things that happen and, and new things get started and maybe they, maybe this all hype. I mean, I feel like this happened with ABM, right? It was kind of like, Ooh, ABM, but it's like, wait, selling to accounts. Haven't we been doing that for like 30 years? Yes, but new. And then maybe, and then, then the tech eventually some was fuzzy and then eventually started to fall and say, Hey, well, if, you know, if you add someone to an account, you already have an account. Wouldn't it be great that actually match. Oh yeah, it makes sense. So I, it's almost like the, the hype gave way to some reality, which was we need some help doing these, core things you know like it after all that stuff was washed away and so maybe that i mean we just continue to see that so nfts that's I've, the first time i ever heard of that that's why you're here i'm here to learn from you so, so there is right the very famous gartner hype curve is exactly that it's this mm -hmm. idea that something happens we hype the heck out of it and reaches this peak of inflated expectations and then shortly thereafter, it plummets down where people are like, all right, well, it doesn't do any of the things we expected was actually going to, you know, all that hype. Yeah, that didn't work out. 
But then once it goes down to that trough, it actually then slowly starts to rise again over time as people find like, okay, well, the things that were crazy unrealistic, yeah, that's not happening, but there is actual real value in those real use cases and those emerge over time. And so I definitely, yeah, would agree a lot of the stuff around crypto and NFTs and metaverse and all that, we, we, we kind of, in fact, I would argue with NFTs, if you read the news, it sounds like we've maybe passed the peak height and now it's plummeting down on the other side of like, ah, oh, this is all scammers and, you know, useless stuff, you know, uh, but, you know, maybe it will just go away. I, I don't think so. I think we will come out on the other side of saying, okay, there is a set of useful, real use cases, you know, uh, that this technology enables. And as we start to find those and learn those and, you know, the, the, there will be a stable rise over time, but. Yeah, we see this all over technology and certainly all over MarTech. I think your example with ABM is great to it. Like, yeah, it hit a high peak, then kind of like pulled back. Uh, but yeah, today it's kind of hard to actually find a B2B company that hasn't really embedded ABM, you know, into its MarTech stack and, you know, its overall operating system. They don't always go out of their way to label it. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily just ABM software, but it's kind of built into the whole stack and operating system at this point. Even if you're not still sure what it is, <laughs> you might still have it in your stack. <laughs> um, well, actually, right now, who was it? John Miller, who you could argue is yeah. one of the fathers of, uh, you know, ABM, you know, when he uh, launched Engageo, like his point actually was, well, even ABM is a bit of a misnomer because yeah, there's components of this that we're doing in marketing, but to be honest, what makes this account-based strategy so successful is that it's a way for marketing and sales to really align together yeah. on how they win business. And as much of this account work is happening in sales and customer success as it is in marketing. So ABM isn't even really quite the right term for it, but it seems to be the for better or worse, the term that is stuck. You know, um, I've definitely heard AB blank, right? Some <laughs> ABX, other yes. ABX, <laughs> you know, and we'll just we'll just blame Sangram for just being so good at creating communities that that he said so we can't get it out of our heads. It's ABM now. Okay, it is. Flip um, that funnel. Yeah. <laughs> Flip that exactly, exactly. Um, you know, and I see like the content uh, category, which probably on that curve decades ago you know you have to have a blog what's that but now something like 600 million of them we kind of get the point like that's a mainstay so it's almost like in the confusion and haze of what should marketing actually do you're you're providing some clarity here because there, there are categories that are that are that are early but there are also categories that are just uh, the bigger ones that are like mainstays and actually i have a request um perhaps in the future i would love to see the categories and where they where they sit in your opinion on that Gartner curve, you know? Oh, that's I, an interesting idea. Oh, I'd yeah. love to know. I bet I bet you would be the one that would know because even maybe size you could extrapolate, um, you know, wh where they're at. Although this is the thing, so some of them you could look at the whole category, but others like as we were talking about for like say the CMS web experience DXP whatever you want to call it, it's almost like there were different eras of that technology and those different eras are at different points in the Gartner hype cycle. Uh, so it might be a little bit, you might need a maybe little more some. nuance than just the category, but if you go down maybe just one layer to say like major trends within those categories, yeah, that, that would be super cool. You're right. I totally get that, right? Web, 
yeah, it's it's fine. It's way over here. Well, not necessarily because we got some new stuff happening that makes it earlier on the curve. So that might be challenging. But to your point, you know, taking it down one one layer or two that might be able to show us that. All right, hang on here. I've just had a a, a very enthusiastic Labrador Retriever come into uh, uh, the studio and uh, so now you got to explain that, my, is that uh, is virtual it... background. So the illusion is shattered. What is that? What is that? <laughs> Oh, um, uh, so, you know, people have virtual backgrounds. Uh, there's this company, Anyvu. Yeah, I'll give them a plug. Yeah. But just like people create green screens, well, they kind of create those things, except instead of being green, you can get whatever you want printed on it. You hang it behind you. But it just provides a nice, neat background up until the point that you're rambunctious, uh, <laughs> your rambunctious. Your dog know, pushes dog it aside. Comes in and totally destroys the whole setup. No, it's very yes. subtle. I, I, I still, it just like the wall moved almost like it was like a secret passageway. So I can see behind the yes, curtain. Let me take you into the inner workings. Of yes. The what landscape. was it called? Any. Any voo. A-N-Y-B-O-O dot com. Got it. And they got funny names. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, like given all the companies out there, like, boy, it's hard to come up with a name that has a domain available. You know, you can trademark it. Uh, it isn't like, you know, 50 letters. It's, uh, yeah. You're going to spell it wrong thing. and you got to tell everyone every time you tell them, oh, it's spelled wrong, but don't worry, it's on purpose, right? And yeah, so many things going on there. Um, okay, any other, um, any other category, any other movers? So you mentioned NFT the metaverse uh any any surprises that happen oh, we sell print well oh, prints gigantic yeah actually print keeps coming back uh you know i mean there's so much innovation that's happening here i mean again it's like marketers are constantly in this battle of you know breaking through the noise uh and it's either this search generally for new channels or new tactics um, and what's interesting is these things sort of revolve over time is, you know, everybody went digital, you know, and so like direct mail and things like that, you know, really dropped down. And then all of a sudden, Marcus started to realize, hey, nobody else is actually using this channel. Maybe I can use this, you know, and, break and actually it does because like, oh, well, that's kind of novel, you know, and then people started doing all the gifting solutions, you know, and. Yeah, you know, I've had people like, you know, drop off, you know, four packs of like craft beer, you know, it's like, this is a marketing channel. Uh, and actually, to be honest, you know, if it's your choice between sending me some uh, spam, you know, in cold email or, you know, a four pack of some craft brew, actually, please, yeah, send the craft brew. I'm still probably not going to buy the product, but, you know, <laughs> I'll appreciate that one a lot more. You know, I will probably take the demo for sure if you want to drop off a... Uh... Nice, uh, a nice New England IPA or something like that. Uh, make that no. Uh, that's my my official stance. <laughs> Drop off a beer and I'll join your thirty minute call. <laughs> but you're right. I reserve the right not to buy anything afterward. Um, yeah, interesting um, topic around you know marketing automation, marketing enablement type tools, and then sales enablement. And then also interesting that sales enablement made the list. Could you talk to me about the difference between marketing tools and then this sales enablement thing? Because I always thought that that would just get absorbed, but it seems to be a beast on its own. And then how does sales enablement make its way into the MarTech list? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, in a lot of companies, it is actually the marketing team that's building out the content in these sales enablement 
uh, solutions for salespeople to consume. You know, not always your organization may vary, but yeah, definitely a very common marketing responsibility. It's essentially almost your internal marketing, um, you know, and then these tools that get leveraged, you know, by salespeople to then send off to, uh, you know, their customers. Because it turns out, generally speaking, you do not want the salesperson having to come up with their own, you know, specialized. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they have a certain set of talents uh, and expertise. Marketers have a certain set of talents and expertise. And yes, uh, the division of labor there uh, has value. You said what to our customer in that email? <laughs> yeah, to, to ten thousand. You, 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 you sent that, that email to by hand in PowerPoint. Are you crazy? <laughs> um, have we shown our brand standards to you? Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> um, and the truth is, you know, I mean, enablement used to be a relatively simple thing, just because of the number of channels in which sales was engaging, uh, you know, with customers were fairly limited, but. One of the things that happened over the pandemic is you saw salespeople starting to engage with um, more and more, uh, you know, prospects and customers through a variety of new channels. I mean, certainly, you know, video conferencing things, there were online chat things, there's, you know, we're running virtual office hours, you know, there's, um, uh, yeah, maybe doing even deeper engagement with folks through like social networks or stuff like this. Uh, you know, Jill Raleigh, who is, you know, I mean, like a sales extraordinaire in the MarTech universe, right? I mean, part of, you know, her claim to fame was, you know, just incredibly creative from the sales side of how to find and engage prospects and customers, you know, through social channels and things like that, social selling, you know. And so anyways, as more and more of that expanded in the pandemic, and sales teams, you know, right, this became their lifeblood. They all of a sudden, it was digital or nothing, you know, they started to really lean into this. And as a result, they were able to start to take advantage of more digital sales enablement uh, tools, you know, like how we do a demo, you know, with a uh, prospect can make a very big difference. A whole bunch of things in that sales enablement category that are about like next generation demo management tools. Um, mm. So it's a, it, it's a lot of creativity. Again, this is one of the things you could argue, is it MarTech, is it sales tech? To me, it's probably in a case where if MarTech and sales tech are, you know, a Venn diagram, those two circles overlap uh, and sales enablement is probably uh, one of the things in that overlap. Wow. Yeah, you know, speaking of overlap, it, obviously we're fellow marketing automation nerds, but the idea of still having an email marketing category when something like marketing automation exists um, it's like, God, I just want to shake someone. And <laughs> they're, they're, we've developed something new in the last 10 years. <laughs> you should go check it out. Um, do you see, I guess you have to also track the, the lagging categories too. And yeah. not even to print is lagging. It, I mean, it can be to, to your earlier point, it's sort of resurged back around, but when you have like a, you know, it's when you have a, a really sharp CRM to have to track almost like tracking on Excel. Uh, it's almost like you want to shake those people into innovating so you can put them in the appropriate category. Yep. Yeah. And I think, I mean, maybe we'll get there. It, um, I think it actually, it, it's a great point because when you look at the companies that are in that email uh, marketing category, I mean, go to their websites. I mean, that is really their mission. They're like, yep, this is what we do for, you know, email. Um, you know, there's a few of them that have tried to expand a little bit more broadly, but like, I mean, take MailChimp, for example, and I'll, I'll disclaim this is just my opinion, uh, you know, armchair analyst, but while MailChimp has a bunch of other, you know, features above and beyond just its core email, as far as I can tell, like the brand, I mean, it's 
in the name, you know, it's like so deeply rooted of like, oh, well, if I want to just have an email list and be able to manage the newsletter and something like that, oh, I'll sign up for MailChimp, um, you know, right. and you've just got a ton of businesses that have done that. Um, anyway, but yeah, it it evolves over time. There's there's some data that's going to be coming out in a report I did jointly with the team at uh, MarTech.org. Um, uh, it's not quite ready to be published, but every year we do this like sort of career survey of, you know, marketers, what they're using, the technology. And for a number of years, and it's true again, the most common tool that marketers and marketing ops people spend their days with, spreadsheets. Here in 2022, it is still, you know, so... All technology does not go away quickly. Um. Well, yeah, I, I, I once was chatting with, with a, a person. I think we were, I was kind of advising him and, and the company he was working at got rid of marketing automation. It was going back to spreadsheets. <laughs> I was like, and you're staying? <laughs> yeah, I'm Crazy. not sure we're making an argument for replacing marketing automation with spreadsheets, but I think the thing about spreadsheets, and this probably actually goes to the topic of like, you know, the no code movement and all these no code tool products, you know, things like Airtable and whatnot, is for all of our core MarTech systems, like marketing automation, like CRM, CRM, there's still become all these like process specific use cases that businesses want to build around these systems. And yeah, there are things that they aren't necessarily worth like going and building like, you know, a huge software app for, but being able to like manipulate a bunch of stuff in Excel, or if you want to be a little bit more sophisticated, you know, using something like Airtable, you know, to pull that together. Um, yeah, there's just a ton of that that actually goes into still the modern day marketing operations environment. And fair enough. I mean, I used to have to do a, to, to do, um, to do revenue uh, in a freemium program i used to have to do this um fls report kind of like the tps report in, <laughs> in office but it was called FLS. as long as you got the right cover sheet you were good yeah. <laughs> and, and i was a marketing coordinator and it would take me something on one day out of the week to, to do this report and all it was doing was tracking these people did freemium did they ever buy anything and it would do all these you know, and, and actually it was manual and then i was just like i'm not doing that and so i it figured out how to use macros just to make it happen. But you're right. There's, a, there's some power to that. So in the end you can, you know, brute force, make it happen. Um, well, you can't that's find where the, the tool. And that's where the no code stuff gets really interesting uh, is yeah. I mean, macros with Excel are kind of, again, like an early version of that, but it's exactly right. It's like, I want both. I want the flexibility to craft something that's very unique to a particular process or something that's specific to my company. It's not a generic enough use case that there's an off the shelf solution for it. Um, but at the same time, while I want to craft something that's very specific to my business and needs, I don't want to be doing it all manually, you know? Yeah. So if I can have this more enlightened, you know, Excel plus, you know, environment where I can sort of create my own custom model, my own custom processes, but I can set it up so that it is automated. It integrates with my other systems. It pulls the right data, what it needs it, processes it. Then yeah, it's kind of the best of both worlds. And I think that's where we are in this journey is, you know, again, a lot of people are still doing a ton of stuff manually, but it feels like, yeah, we are slowly automating and app, 
what would be the word appizing turning into apps you know these what used to just be a spreadsheet now i've kind of made it into a little no code app um you know and i think that's pretty exciting yeah yeah i mean you can track all your to-dos on excel that's how how we used to right so it's like or on a piece of paper but yeah you, you can do it um posted notes yes yeah posted notes yeah exactly <laughs> try erase board absolutely um how do you stay impartial um i know you, you know, mentioned obviously you, you're hubspot and you know i i have hubspot now too um but at the same time you know how do you do you i mean, seems like you do because they're all the same size even on the other chart it wasn't like you know hubspot's this big and all the other ones are like tiny tiny and some of those other force related apps are even tiny no no it was all like hey this is the ecosystem the way i see it do you feel a certain responsibility to that and then how do you how do you approach that yeah, I mean, I think the short answer is, in fact, actually, when I joined HubSpot, uh, you know, uh, uh, this was a conversation we had, yeah. um, you know, because, uh, yeah, my ask was, I, I, I want to keep doing this other thing with Chief Martech. And, yeah, it's in the big scheme of things, it's supportive for, you know, the industry that HubSpot's in. Um, but, yeah, did, you know, just be candid, like, if I started, like, turning all my Chief Martech content into, like, favoring HubSpot, Landing pages. People just stop paying attention to it. They're like, okay, well, the, you know, and so guys are and, and to be honest, actually HubSpot, like they got that right away because yeah. I mean, this is how HubSpot built its company on inbound marketing and saying, listen, we don't have to be selling you our solution all the time. If we actually just help you and yeah. we help educate you, then at the point in time you decide that, you know, what software you want to use, hopefully that then puts us in the consideration set. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, I, I will say, uh, yeah, HubSpot, when I joined them, they said, yep, we'll not have any interference there. And they've absolutely lived up to their world word. There's never been a single time anyone at HubSpot, you know, has come to me and like, could you make the HubSpot logo a little bit bigger? Or, you know, it's an extra so. pixel. Come on, man. Come on, Scott. What do you got? Just an extra yeah. pixel. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and arguably the greatest value of what I do with Chief Marketing Tech for HubSpot is my role at HubSpot is very much about like, okay, not just what HubSpot does, but, you know, really trying to understand the larger MarTech sales tech ecosystem and all the opportunities for like, you know, HubSpot to be partners, you know, with literally yeah. over a thousand of these companies at this point. Um, and so, yeah, at that point in time, like, again, if you're, if you're engaging in the broader ecosystem of these partnerships, you know, you don't, you don't win friends and influence people by making it all about you. You know, you you, you make it about like, it's all about them. And, and I, this isn't just like some sort of schmaltzy, you know, talk on it. I mean, I no, genuinely no. believe this is what makes yeah. ecosystems thrive is it's not about any one company. It is about this whole universe and kind of how it fits together. Yeah. And, and honestly, I mean, HubSpot's had like several decades now of just educating marketers because university certainly isn't or hasn't you know, generally speaking. So I, I, who didn't learn, you know, as a marketer reading the HubSpot blogs and inbound type academies and, you know, and learning what, what was what. So, I mean, there's been a nice history of that. So I could see how, you know, when, when this comes in, it's like, of course, of course, just teach the people and, you know, and we'll be a part of it. I, I, I will say though, I, I think that you help keep them fresh and keep them young, if you will, because, it, you could easily have a platform that snoozes and then starts losing because there's all these things people want to connect to. And it's like, it's too complicated. 
for instance, chat, right? Chat. I mean, there's a bunch of cool apps out there. Some have some great conferences, but the fact that even on HubSpot, you've got some chat. Thank you. It's just handy. It's easy. Code's already on there to track it. So voila, there's a chat. And guess what? It's integrated, you know? And so it just, and you might not have known that, like, like an app could certainly have its head in the sand. They have their projects, but knowing that, oh, this thing's bubbling out or this thing's bubbling out over here, or have we considered ABM? It's starting to grow over here. Um, I, I can imagine you helping inform the overall group of like, this is where this is all headed. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, I, I don't know that I can take a tremendous amount of credit there. And the no, fact I'm just, that, I'm again, all the almost all these things like have the property that, you know, pretty much to anyone who's paying attention to the industry, these things, you know, become very clear. I, um, yeah, again, I have fun with my pieces of trying to help illuminate some portion of it. Um, but yeah, it's just um, the folks who are in MarTech, you know, almost always get the stuff that I'm writing about, like we're, we're all kind of seeing the same things, you know, but that being said, there's a very large world, uh, you know, of marketers who aren't yet in MarTech, you know, I mean, and, and frankly, we all keep learning. I mean, there's not a week that goes by that I'm not coming across something. I'm like, huh, all right, I had no idea that existed or was this going to mean for the, you know, marketing, marketing tech? Um, I mean, just a lot of wild stuff happening in uh, the technology innovation world. No, it's absolutely wild and <laughs> constantly changing and moving and um, really fascinating. Ha have you given much thought to the B2B versus B2C? I see the e-commerce platforms in there. HubSpot, obviously, primarily B2B. But not that that needs to change anything like we just talked about. But if you got rid of one, would that make it simpler or do you see them converging? Oh, it's a great question. Um they are different in some ways and similar in others. Um, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of this comes like, you know, account-based marketing is a great example of something that generally speaking, the plays you're trying to do around like, you know, account-based, you know, targeting and selling, would it make sense on a consumer basis? It's like, I'm assuming I have a, you know, small target set and there are many decision makers and influencers in that, you know, versus, uh, yeah, some of these things that like, oh, well, I want to instantly click and buy this thing off of Instagram. You know, I'm not sure we're at a point where you're going to do that for your CRM. Um, <laughs> but, uh, right, there's like a ton of, you know, I mean, for us as consumers, we do. What's interesting is, there's definitely a lot of shared DNA in the fact that ultimately, and this fellow Gord Hotchkiss, who used to be a leader in the search marketing space, eventually sold his company, I think he's retired, but you know, he had this really brilliant insight. Um, I'm sure a number have had the same thing, which is, you know, at the end of the day, you're still selling to people, whether it's you know, consumers or it's B2B buyers. In fact, actually in B2B buyers, that is a more emotional purchase than we typically like to think. I mean, you know, for a long time, you know, B2B was like, oh, well, that's the very analytical, it's all business suit and tie sort of stuff. No, like the emotional issues that people go into, like, you know, the, the job risks they take in these decisions, like, do they have support of their peers? Because it's like a multi-person decision process. What are the politics involved in that? You know, and so actually marketers who have that sort of, you know, like emotional intelligence, you know, awareness in what they're doing, that isn't just a consumer thing. That's incredibly relevant in B2B. Um, 
you know, but also, yeah, so the two inspire each other. Um, you know, uh, we've got B2C purchases, like, um, I don't know, I mean, if we're picking something like a car, okay, it's maybe not a committee, but, you know, if, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I'm married, I have a partner, like, you know, I probably should not just go out on impulse and, you know, go buy the motorcycle, um, you know, like, there will be decisions, <laughs> and, and people weigh right. them, you know, uh, where are we going to go on vacation, you know, what does this look like, uh, you know, so there are some of those ideas from how we think about multi-party, you know, considered purchases in the B2B world that are also relevant in B2C. So anyway, all that is to say, yes, they, they, they have differences, but they also have really interesting overlaps too. Yeah, as you're describing that, it started to make a little more sense to me where, yeah, you have the e-commerce, the, the endpoint, just like maybe you would have the landing page, marketing automation endpoint. But then all we're doing is we're just trying to get those eyes and that attention to some place like, get them to, to go there. And so all the other categories I'm seeing, I see the mobile and, you know, ad buys and all these other things are, it's almost like the, the method or the source or the medium or the channel to try to get people to those endpoints. So by capturing the endpoint of landing and shopping, you are then free to do all the other things that we need to do. And I, I never really thought about B2C versus B2B in like tech terms, but when you do that, it seems a lot, a lot closer, like really close. We're just, it's just a different ask when you get there. Yeah. Well, and, you know, again, just like, uh, you know, in B2C, we've always seen the very, uh, like a lot more emphasis on brand marketing over like, say, demand generation. You know, again, part of this comes down to like the nature of the consumer product and whether it has a channel. What's really fascinating is like, yeah, we see now exchange in both ways where, you know, a lot of B2B companies, brand marketing is making quite a comeback because people are realizing this actually becomes the amplification, you know, the reputational value that changes the coefficient of how effective your demand generation programs are. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, on the other side, you know, in the consumer space, you know, all those D to C companies, you know, in a really interesting way, a lot of these D to C companies, they kind of look a bit like B2B companies and like, uh, you know, the way they operate. And so a lot of them have like very strong, you know, like demand generation programs, you know, as part of their go-to-market. So anyway, all I have to say, I, I've always found it fascinating. I think each side of that has so much to learn and inspiration to draw from the other. Um, and that was when we, uh, yeah, whenever I'd organize those MarTech conferences, I always intermingled the speakers between the two, which some people hated because they were like, listen, I'm here for B2B or I'm here for B2C. I'm like, just step back for a moment and consider like what you might learn from looking how, you know, something that on the surface feels like a very different kind of business. But I think you might find some inspiration ideas that can really be game changing for what you do in your field. 100%, right? I mean, so many, I, I've seen B2B neglect landing page optimization because why wouldn't they want your content? Well, I don't know, because it's terrible, but, but like it, below the fold buttons and there's absolutely something to be gained from the folks who live and die by, did you buy? Did you, did you click? Um, we're not going to get you next time. You're going to buy the thing and you're going to be gone. It's like, we need to get you. But at the same time, your point, let's nurture those B2C buyers and get them to come back, be loyal fans. Um, and really, I, Brand, I love this point you made, brand for B2B being so important. How can it not be when I'm staring at 10,000 fav icons on a page that the page can't even handle? Like my browser can't even like scrolling and it's like, yep, 
Yeah, there's so many, so many things here. You have to have a brand. And I think HubSpot was one of the originals where it was just like this brand. We used to, um, when I didn't have HubSpot, we used to make fun of HubSpot users as drinking the Kool-Aid because you try to talk to them about some other <laughs> And then you drank the like, Kool-Aid and you're like, hey, this tastes pretty good. Uh. Right, right. And it, it, right now, if someone's like, hey, you want to move this, you know, this other thing, I'm like, life is simple right now. <laughs> I don't really want to make it more complicated unless something's really good. But I still don't. So now I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. But yeah, it, HubSpot was one of the original champions to be able to do that. I know Drift and some other people just made it just more than the app itself it was the the community and the feeling and you're right you're right i mean it is that emotion right that it, it's not a spreadsheet calculation always as much as it is how do i how does this product make me feel do i feel yeah. like a success or do i feel the good feelings when i work with this tool yeah no a hundred percent you mentioned uh sangram uh, earlier and right again like flip my phone i mean terminus is always like one of these like uh, incredible stories for me because I mean, again, like a small company based out of Atlanta, you know, this talk about, yeah, a sea of thousands of other MarTech solutions. How do you break through that? They broke through it. And I credit it almost entirely to Sangram, you know, of that whole flip my funnel movement, you know, and he actually like, you know, did the right thing of like pulling in, you know, competitive overlap products oh, and yeah. trying to like, let's make this a bigger story, uh, which certainly grew the category, but because it was Sangram and Terminus that were the ones like pushing that, you know, initiative, they got enormous brand cred uh, over it. I don't think he gets nearly enough credit uh, for that. Like, I mean, not to take anything away from all the other people who built Terminus, I think Sangram was sort of the pivotal one who like, that is the reason why that is like a multi-billion dollar brand. Uh, so just yeah, you should definitely take a bow for that. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Those events were actually fun to go to. You, you actually learned something. Else. <laughs> you had great speakers, and and I and they actually practiced what they preached. I remember them tweeting at me saying, "Come to our booth." And this is a ABM story. I'll tell every day till I die. There was a a mason jar with a handle on it because you know Georgia, <laughs> and uh, so a glass mason jar with a handle, and it had my logo of my last company in like I don't know if it's tape or decal on the mm. front of it. Like, how many of these things did you make? You obviously couldn't make it for 5,000 people. Could you? I made it for a couple hundred. Like, and it's one of those stories you just keep telling because it was like such a wow that it was, it was, of course, it was full of chocolate and, and, and alcohol nips and all sorts of other goodies. But <laughs> the logo on the front, I'm like, this is my glass. This was so they very much practiced what they preached um, and they, they stood out from, from the list. And I think that's the marketer's challenge is just how do you, buy you know like they're just little icons now how do you stand out from the crowd yeah so love to ask you um video i see video you know showing up nice and strong i hear a little bit more about it some of our friends all, all around the place a little bomb bomb little vidyard all these people are starting to move things and shake things and i think we're finally realizing that we can do video and it, it's not a bandwidth thing like it was 10 years ago like we've been smashing myths today like oh nope that was solved it was solved 10 years ago video is a thing um do you what about podcasts do you have you seen that pop up oh yeah see that fact, actually yeah uh, yeah you were asking me earlier about new categories we need to add yeah. to the landscape yeah podcast is one of them uh and actually on 
two locations because there's a whole set of tools now that are used for creating and publishing podcasts. Um, I mean, some really creative tools for this. Uh, and then also now increasingly, uh, yeah, we were talking about different advertising channels, these advertising networks, you know, that are being built around uh, podcast networks too are emerging. So yeah, no, it's, it's definitely an area. And, and even video too continues to, you know, grow and expand um, this whole sort of, yeah, revolution around, you know, these streaming services, as they start to take, you know, more advertising, uh, you know, how do you think about managing that in a more programmatic fashion? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing about MarTech is uh, we are a long way away from the dust settling and being like, yep, everything's all set. We can write the textbook. You can go to college, read this textbook, come out, and it's, it's all straightforward. It is every year. Just learning, like, okay, what's new? What's changing? How do we, uh, you know, how do we adapt? Um, so, <laughs> yeah, you've got the right approach because if if you were just trying to keep it at a five thousand, you know, then up pops this other topic, and then you're about ready to retire, and then NFT surface, right? And it's like, oh, I I can't leave. I must keep going. More <laughs> categories keep servicing, uh, but I think the the core pillars seem to be establishing themselves, even if they continue to reinvigorate themselves. You see the, the sort of solid things being here, and then you know just sort of fringe fun things uh, on the periphery. But yeah, you know, that fun thing is maybe where the advantages start showing up. So yeah, and while today's fringe fun thing, you know, becomes tomorrow's like mainstream channel. I mean, there was 100%. a point in time where you know, right, video was kind of fringe on that uh, podcast. Started out being really fringy. Um, you know, metaverse today, we kind of think of NFTs. We think of them as kind of fringy, but five years from now, eight years from now, 10 years from now. Yeah. I mean, all those things just taken for granted is like mainstream channels and platforms. So, um, yeah. yeah it, I definitely got to learn more about the NFT side. I, I had a friend reframe it for me and I thought, oh, okay, it's not the buying artwork thing. It's like, no, it's not always the buying the artwork. It's, it's, it's the idea of digital digitally signing things and and contracts and you know there's just more to it. So I, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. What about AI? I don't know if I saw a category for that. Yeah, so that's interesting. We we may add a category for that. Um, we're debating that right now. The reason I hadn't added a category for it yet isn't because there isn't a ton of AI in marketing, but because actually quite the opposite. AI is now getting built into almost every MarTech product. You know, now it might be just some simple machine learning, you know, models with one product. Maybe it's more of a generative AI, you know, conversational AI capability in another one. Gotcha. But almost all MarTech companies are leveraging some kind of AI. And so it was, it's almost actually, it's also a little bit like the no code stuff. Uh, I have the same thing, you know, I've debated like creating a whole no code category, but the thing is so many no code like features are getting embedded and so many MarTech that you're almost like, okay, this is, this is something that's sort of like raising the entire uh, industry. Um, but that being said, there are actually a set of products out there that are almost pure AI products that then marketers are increasingly, if they have technical folks on their team, you know, buying these AI-based products and then building their own custom things around them. And so I think there probably is a case for a legitimate AI category that you know supports those kinds of underlying platforms and components. Um, but yeah, AI overall, yeah, it's 
it's everywhere. <laughs> like a, it's like a great clickbaity descriptor keyword, in my opinion. Uh, I've seen a lot of, a lot of hyper. So I think it's early on that curve we were talking about earlier, or, or maybe not super early, but it's, it's somewhere in there. It's in the confusing spot right now. So I, but I can see how it's being used across the board on these categories you already have. So that makes sense why it wasn't there. I was, I was about to be like, oh, see, I knew it was complete crap. <laughs> Scott didn't put it on his chart. It's not real, but I understand it's, it's, it's mixed in amongst everything else. Yeah. And actually a lot of the best cases, you wouldn't even know it. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know, like, I'll give it one example of like, so we're talking about, uh, you know, marketing automation, email marketing, uh, send time optimization, you know, which is a sort of really, I mean, very simple, obvious functionality of saying, Hey, if I'm going to send a bunch of email to thousands of people, you know, probably historically there's, you know, some information to indicate like when would be the ideal time to send it to each of these different folks, something that would make no sense to do manually where there'd be right. no oh, ROI yeah. for that, you know, but for a very simple machine learning model to sort of look at like, when do people open stuff and keep track of that over time? And then over time, basically adapt when you deliver things to individuals, it's not rocket science. It's probably not even worth shouting from the rafters about, you know, but if you're a marketing automation or email marketing product, like having something like that built in, yeah, it, 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 it's just sort of taken now as a feature and like, yeah, I, I, I don't use AI. Oh, I mean, yeah, sure. We have send time optimization in there. Uh, <laughs> it's like the same thing. Yeah. But by the way, that sounds really cool. Uh, the, and, and then you, you avoid the conversation with the CMOs like, oh, when, when are we going to send this thing? Oh, it's being sent this week across space and time it's being up it's 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 send optimized at the individual level at the individual email address level oh okay pretty cool right, right? you know? Let me know how the click-through rate goes <laughs> yeah i will when you have to be a bit of a you know marketing martech nerd to like appreciate it but yeah <laughs> guilty as charged so really cool yeah really cool and then every website changing dynamically to show show you what you need to see love it so good. So you back to back to the podcast. So you do see potentially adding those in the future. I, I know it's that's yeah. it's like we're using it and we're on it, but it's like where does it fit into the into the the model? You know? Yeah. So we'll probably put it in the content and experience Makes uh, you know yeah. column, obviously. Um, with the possible exception that we might also have something in the advertising and promotion. Uh, so it's a difference between are you creating and publishing your podcast or are you placing advertisement sponsorships in other people's podcasts for the two different use cases and two different, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll add that. I think part of the question for us is always because we don't like to get too granular. Yeah. You know, we always sort of look at like, okay, are there sort of larger clusters here? So, you know, is, I don't know. I mean, there's still interesting things happening with radio, um, you know, like uh, that, that that's evolving. Like where is the line between podcasts and radio and streaming services? And, you know, do these things all sort of fit together in some large right, and the webinars and the, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad, I'm glad it's a problem you have to solve. I'll, I'll solve other problems. <laughs> that sounds challenging. I can, I can see how, but it also sounds fun. I could see how you could really try to figure it out. Well, I mean, you know, I, I I joke with people like the three hardest things in uh yeah, you know, marketing products, SaaS naming. What do we call this thing? Yeah. Pricing. What do we price it at? And categorization. Like categorization is hard because very often 
the most innovative solutions are innovative because they're they're not trying to fit into a category box. They're trying to solve a problem for a customer. They're trying to approach a job to be done. And that job to be done might span multiple categories. It might yeah. be something kind of different, you know, but analysts, you know, and people like me who are putting logos in boxes, like, okay, well, we need categories to put these things in, you know, and you can't have everything as a category or one, or you basically, okay, that's effectively no categories. Yeah. Um, but it sucks because, yeah, I mean, you know, so many products, what's best about them, you know, can't be really captured in saying like, oh, yeah, that's just a uh, email marketing tool. Like, right. No, let's kind of come up with a different way of thinking about that. So well, the marketers aren't making it easy for you because half of us are reinventing a brand new category every every other day. Right. Just to make ourselves stand out from this crowd. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not marketing automation we're ai optimized send mailer friends <laughs> we're something completely different you're like okay are you really <laughs> how, how do you deal with that do you ever have like issues like people just trying to say that they're not something but like no no you're a chat app friend you go in that category yeah i mean you know it's it, actually the larger the martech landscape has become the less that's become a problem because <laughs> nobody can read it anymore. So <laughs> they're like, I, I don't even know what category I'm in. You know, I can't find it. Um, you know, so it, it, it's, you know, tamped down a bit. But yeah, for I mean, there still are folks who are like, yeah, just debate the category we put them in. And to be honest, actually, I'm always happy to have those conversations because, sure. you know, I mean, we're trying to pull this from the outside looking in, you know, like we'll read their website, we'll, you know, look at the examples they present of what customers are doing with case studies, you know, and based on that, we'll make our best guess. Um, and if they come and they have like, no, 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 we're not that, we're this other thing. Uh, I guess my question to them is like, okay, well, this is what I was reading on your website and reading in your case studies what you're saying now is different than that you know are you sure so uh, what you're telling me is this i don't know what's going on here yeah I, and again this kind of goes back like we were saying like hey listen if you don't have a fave icon that represents your brand you might not yet be ready uh you know for varsity martech um i think it's kind of the same thing around like hey listen from a positioning perspective and making your messaging clear if you don't have that on the homepage of your website in a way that someone like me can come to it and ask, huh, what do you guys do? Who would I be comparing you against? Um, then it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, are you, are, you, are you sure you really want to be teaching other people about digital marketing? Because your digital marketing is a little bit fuzzy here. Just, just being honest. Um, yeah, it's so. a, little, a little blurry here. <laughs> Oh man, you know, and and Scott, I I did as I was perusing the uh, the list. I do believe I have found the uh, the friends here that uh, I, I noticed that WordPress was in just a few categories. <laughs> uh, no, it's not actually WordPress. I think it's our. Uh, there's a there's there should be a naughty list of people who need to update their fav icons. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know i mean again like actually to your point earlier when you're like hmm, before i make a comment here i'm gonna go quickly check my own website just to double check i mean i actually yeah you know i i do have a lot of empathy for the fact that 
marketing is complex. There's so many moving parts, you know, people, there's so much change over that happens in companies. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I actually try not to make fun of people too. I mean, there, there's jokes that you could obviously make and some of them set them up and they'd probably be funny, but I always, I kind of have still like the, the sympathy and empathy that this, this stuff's just hard. There's just so many moving parts. And so, um, yeah, uh, and, and not, not, not in a good position to throw rocks. But again, if you're coming and you're saying you need to be in a different category and what you're saying is just very different than what your webpage says, then I think it's a fair ask to say, have you considered updating your website? <laughs> uh, totally. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll make fun of them for us both. And then, uh, but I, I'm, I'm as guilty as I'll, I'll count myself guilty as all of them. You know, I just, the only reason I have a fave icon is because thank God, whichever web team I hired, thanks, Pat, uh, decided to do one when they did the web project, right? I didn't, I didn't even remember to ask for it in the proposal. They just made sure it was covered. So somebody else had my back on that. Yeah. And that brings me, I really kind of like a, a final question, sort of wrap things up is um, around this area of, you know, it's hard. Do you have any guidance for, I mean, even like an order of how you go through this, or if you're going to be acquiring you can't buy all 10,000 tools. Oh God, no. Are there certain categories you should have? And does this help inform us of that? Or do you need to draw on your own strategy? Any advice yeah. you have for, for- Yeah, so I, I will make the uh, immediate and forceful disclaimer here that the MarTech landscape should never be used to try and like figure out your strategy of like, yeah, what your MarTech stack should be. It is at best, at best, just sort of an interesting observation of the scale of the industry, you know, but when it comes to like figuring out like what you actually need in your company and how you should prioritize stuff, do not start with the MarTech landscape. Start with actually, okay, what are your jobs to be done? I, I, I always find that framework from Clay Christensen to just be so useful because it kind of cuts through all the noise. It's like, okay, what are the core things I'm actually trying to do? Like, all right, well, I need to generate these leads. Okay, like, where am I going to do that? Through what channels? What's going to be the experience for the people who when they're getting that generator? How do I like look at that cycle? What do I need to provide? And you start to map this out and then you start to go back like, okay, how do we execute on that? What tools do it? And again, I think for most MarTech stacks, there's like a core set of things around like your CRM, your marketing automation, your like, CMS slash digital experience platform. You know, there's just some of these things that, frankly, if you get those core foundational elements right, you can probably do about 80%, uh, you know, of the things that need to happen in your most important jobs to be done. And then depending on your business, your customers, where you're trying to reach them, what strategy you're using for go to market, you know, what region you're in, what state, I mean, there's a bunch of things that start to then get much more specific to your company. And at that point, you might look to say like, oh, okay, well, I actually want to augment, you know, these foundational capabilities, you know, with something very specialized. Like if I'm in a field where influencer marketing is going to be an important part of my strategy, then I probably want to start looking at some of the technologies to help manage influencer marketing at scale. Um, but everything should be driven by like, okay, what is your business actually trying to do? And, you know, and then seek the technologies that, you know, uh, almost what as they said that, like the Occam's razor, you know, the simplest possible, you know, answer yes. generally right. There should be a version of this for MarTech stacks of like other things being equal, the simplest stack is best. 
but yeah, simplest, almost no even smallest, simplest. right? Like it, it's not a badge of courage, badge of honor to have more apps than everyone else. That it, it probably means you have a few too many, you have some overlap. That, so yeah, I, I love the fact that, you know, the chief of all MarTech is saying, don't use this as a shopping list. Um, and he, even as tempting as for me, I always tell people strategy, process, then technology. And even looking at these categories, I'm going, ooh, that's tempting. So it, it's good to look at. It's great for, in, in, for informing on categories, but we got to set our own strategies. We can't, we can't get distracted. Yep. You know, and I think, again, keeping, I always say like, like this whole thing about uh, strategy, process, technology, I think is the right model with one small exception, mm, totally. which is as new technology continues to come out, it opens up the possibilities for new strategies. And so I do think it is worthwhile looking at, you know, technology just from a technology perspective for a sake of understanding, oh, there might be some new possibilities of how we can evolve our strategy given that this capability now exists in the world. That being said, I think that's a very small thing. Like if, if we're going to talk ratio, it's probably like 90% strategy process technology and then maybe five or 10% of like, oh, new technologies that might inform how we want to evolve our strategy. Um, so 100%. And that's why this is so helpful for us is because maybe our strategy needs just a little information. I mean, you need to close that loop so we know where to go next. Love it. Scott, where can... I direct people to connect with you, to connect with your projects, throw out some social connections, some websites, all the things. <laughs> all right. Uh, so my website is chiefmartech.com, uh, but without the H at the end of the tech. Long story. We won't go into that. Uh, and then actually, <laughs> that's my uh, Twitter handle too, at chiefmartech without an H at the end. Uh, and always happy to engage with people there. Uh, you know, of course, uh, if you're interested in, platform ecosystems uh, in the MarTech land, uh, by all means, uh, you know, check us out at uh, HubSpot and the app marketplace for HubSpot. Um, yeah, and you, you gave all these kind shout outs to all the other stuff I did uh, at the opening of the show. So but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, and, and all those things we'll put in the links in the show notes and all that so people can click right through. So they can- Awesome, well, thanks for up. having me. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's great to catch up with you again. This is really fun. I, I I'm always, I'm surprised, but not surprised just how much I learn. And I'm so glad for people like you, because otherwise I would be, I would be one of those email marketers <laughs> apps that, that hasn't, you know, I, I need, I need to stay informed as well. And this is my favorite way to do that. So thank you so much for coming on here. My pleasure. Have a great and rest of your day. Absolutely. And I just want to really quick, thank those who are listening and challenge you. If you've learned something, and I freaking know you did because I literally have two pages of notes over here front and back, then share this with someone else. That's how you're a thought leader. One person, nine people, 3,000 people. It doesn't even matter. Just get this good information. There's so many things we talked about, so many things we covered. We talked about it's not a binary choice, about platforms, about suites, about NFTs, the hype phase, Gartner's, everything. There's so much here. Definitely share this episode with someone else. And with that, Scott, thank you again for being on here. Thank you, my friend. Have a great day. You too, man. And this has been just a super cool episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.